Welcome back to another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. My name is Creek, and I'm with my um, sagacious co-hosts. Yes. Um, which yeah, it's not okay, bad. Okay, <laughs> not bad. I've never heard that word before, but uh, you know, having and showing keen mental discernment and good judgment or shrewd. So there you go. Do you know how you say that in Spanish? How sagas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So today we are talking about the core quality at point five, which is intuition, as well as its connecting points, which are. <laughs> Where is it? Come on, Just, quick! Yeah, quick! Look, look at the diagram, Greg. Follow the lines. Yeah. Start at point. It's okay. Yes. Start at the top, okay. and then go around. You get okay. to the five. Right, here we go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, with the connecting points. Eight and seven. Eight and seven. Right. No, but what are the core? Joy and vitality. It it's not on your document. See, qual- qualities that are foreign to force, <laughs> yes. which is why, you know. So There we yeah. go. Anyways, let's just get into this. Enough of my uh, stepping on my own toes here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's jump in. So talk to us about this uh, core quality, intuition. Why at point five? You know, it's a good question because I hear other people, um, you know, when they talk about this stuff. I've had conversations with some Enneagram teachers who pushed back a little bit on this and said, oh, objectivity should be at five rather than point one where we put it. And um, and I disagree. And so I went and I looked at Almas's book. I, I went and I looked at Sandra Matry's book and Almas's book, you know, because they're kind of the two sources for these, you know, the two reference points for the, um, the core qualities. And they talk about the idealized or the essential aspects from, but I, I really don't, again, we've talked about how I don't like the metaphysical assumptions they make and uh, some of the philosophical leaps they make. But they both talk about it as something related to knowing, okay, this inner knowing, this knowing without thinking or a knowing without conscious, deliberate, intentional processing. And I think that's really what it's all about for the five. And yeah, sure, objectivity is in some ways related to that, but it's subordinate to it. It's a quality of thinking. And when we talk about objectivity at point one, it's different, right? It's more of a, more of a kind of, not just a thinking attitude, but almost a, 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 a full embodied stance, right? That the one takes around objectivity. Whereas with the five, we're just talking about how do we know things, right? And, and, and how much can we trust our inner knowing and by that, and this is where we're going to have fun talking about this. What do we mean when we talk about inner knowing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> because there's a big, big difference between immature intuition and mature intuition. And just because we intuit something, just because we know something with our bodies, doesn't really mean we know anything. Okay. But anyway, this is what we're talking about when we talk about intuition. Rose, why don't you tell us about these strategies related to point five? Sure. So at point five, the strategy is striving to feel detached. And the connecting points, point five, are seven and eight. So at point seven, it's, it's tri- striving to feel excited. And at point eight, it's striving to feel powerful. So there's this dynamic between the five, the seven, and the eight, where they... Um, Neglected strategies, striving to feel powerful, and the support strategies, striving to feel excited. So the, that's the dynamic for point five. 
um, and we'll see that there is some uh, dynamic that happens with the core qualities at those three points. It's not exactly the same because all core qualities apply to all of us, but still for fives, the most relevant core qualities or those that you feel more acute, I mean, the stunting of them, you feel more acutely are five, seven, and eight. And Almas talks in his book about the five being detached, right? And that because they fall, because they lose contact with or they don't trust their intuition, they start to pull back from life. Okay, they start, you know. So the, the big challenge that the five has is that I don't trust my inner knowing. Okay. I don't trust my own gut feelings because I get these messages early in life that most of my gut feelings are wrong and they're pretty stupid things to do. Right. Uh, you know, look, if you've ever met kids and, you know, I have four of them, Rio Jose has two of them. They're not that bright when they're just Mine a couple are. of years old, right? Yeah, but they are now. But, you know, when they're two, they years, were two. But look, when they're, no, I'm joking. You know, yeah, but, you know, but. But comparatively speaking, they girls do dumb are things. smarter. Well, girls are smarter. And and look, I always tell people, and since I know my sons never listen to anything I ever do, I'll say this. But I always tell people that the secret to raising boys is just to remember that they're stupid and they smell bad. And if you can accept those two things, life will be yeah. fine. Right? Your goal is but, to keep them alive. Uh, yeah, you know, until, yeah. That, that, and that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because they do things like run in front of cars. Okay, they do things like climb to the top of a you know a, a sliding board and hang upside down or you know whatever it is, right? So, when we're young, we have these intuitions that say, "Well, well, this will be fine." You know, what's the big deal with juggling knives? Nothing. You know, what could happen? Okay, but our intuitions are not informed because a good intuition is based on experience. And it's something trained. Yeah. Um, and, and if we think about the strategy, it's because we don't trust, not because, but we don't trust our intuition and we detach. And it's like an attempt to have enough, maybe this distance will give me perspective mm -hmm. to understand what's going on, to kind of yeah. model the world as detailed as possible so that I understand it and know, then I'll know if I take a distance and map it out. If I gather information, if I learn things, if I think about things, if I, if I keep filling my head with facts and ideas and concepts and don't actually embody it or act on it, I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. But then they feel like I don't know how to act in the world because I'm not experienced at doing it. I got all this stuff in my head. I know all the details of how an internal combustion engine works, but I'm not a good driver, right? Or, or something like that. Okay. You know, uh, so there's a difference between those things. I want to highlight something because you said intuition is based on experience, but make sure it's clear that it's based on past experience. Yes that then you're able to analyze that pattern and then come up with a better way of doing something or responding to a situation. So some of it is analyzed and some of it's not, right? Some of it's just through repetition, okay? So, sure. but yeah, conscious it, or unconscious. Better. Exactly, right? Yeah. I believe it's better when it's conscious, 
Okay. I mean, everybody who, you know, teaches things, I mean, good teachers tell you it's better to have 20 minutes of conscious, intentional practice than an hour of, you know, unconscious, inattentive practice. But even that. So, yeah. And um, so good intuition is based on I've done this before. Right. I have I have repeated something enough times or I have enough knowledge that I don't have to be conscious of it anymore. It's floating around the back of my head and it just comes forward. But the thing is, you know, that's great for an emergency or maybe, you know, jazz improvisation or, you know, sports or whatnot. But just because we feel something doesn't mean we should act on it. Right. I mean, I, I, I just I think this is what look, this is one of my pet peeves in you know, the Enneagram world and the self-help world in general is that people think that, well, I feel it, so it must be true. Okay. Or I feel it, so it must be the right thing to do. I have to follow my truth because it feels right. No, it's not just about what you feel. It's the feeling is telling you what to look at, what to pay attention to, what to think about, what to figure out, what to map, what to plan, whatever it is. But there has to be some cognitive element to it as well. I, I ran across uh, an Instagram reel yesterday of a, for those that play guitar, Guthrie Govan, who's one of the great guitarists of our age. And um, whenever he teaches, they want to play something really massive. And something that he stole from one of his teachers is like, um, I can teach you how to play this, but you won't actually know it until you do it before you think it. You can replicate it, but when 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 that lick that you've practiced over and over again just happens to you without you consciously thinking, that's when you know you have it. And I thought that was, yeah. this is, it's a brilliant um, example of what intuition would be. Yes, yes. It's it's something that, you know, people think intuition is some magical quality, right, where we're downloading some deep insight from, you know, some other realm or, or whatever, you know. No, it's just your – see, there's so much happening in the brain that we're not conscious of, okay? Even thoughts, even ideas, even insights that we just we just don't have access to or don't always have access to. That's why that's why you have these brilliant ideas in the shower, right? Cuz you're in the shower and you you know it's not like you're watching YouTube videos or something in the shower. You're just okay, I got to get a shower. I, I'm not being distracted by things. And then all of a sudden these insights start coming out, right? Because this part of your brain that's working but doesn't have the opportunity to spit things out during the rest of the day when you're otherwise occupied now says, oh, okay, here, I'm going to shoot this message forward. Okay. And that's, you know, and so forth. That's why um, Euripides, you know, was in the bathtub when he came up with displacement theory. Okay. Because, ah, Eureka, I got it. I figured this out. So um, yeah. And, and we always tell our clients when we're working with people, take baby steps, right? You, you know, especially when you're working with a three, they say, oh, you know, I want seven things to work on, you know, and like, no, I'm going to give you one, maybe two. And you're going to practice this. And then you're going to come back to me, okay, after you've practiced it and after you've mastered this. And then I'll give you something else to do. To your point about Guthrie Govan here, right? Um, learn this and then we'll do something else. Yeah. And, and I think that it's also um, domain specific because people who are intuitive, I mean, what does that yeah. mean? You might have good intuitions in some domain that, you have this experience, but 
doesn't mean that you're in two person and can do that in every domain. That's whenever you hear somebody talking about being intuitive, just hold onto your wallet. You know, just, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. so so um, let's let's press into this a little bit more. And I guess this is where critical thinking comes in. But how how can you tell between good intuition and just a I had bad pizza last night, but I'm interpreting it as something's wrong with the house that I'm in or something. This is the thing people don't understand about the way that knowledge creation works. It's it's funny because every time I talk about it, and I just had somebody say something like this to me recently. Uh, yeah, well, you know, but we learn through other than science, you know, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you just know things or you feel things. Sometimes you do. Sometimes your intuitions are correct. And a whole lot of the time, they're not. Because I think, oh, you know what? Boy, I, my stomach's upset. I, it must be that pizza I ate. And then you find out that there's a gas leak and you've got, you know, toxic gas poisoning or something like that. You know, you know? And so the way knowledge creation works, the way insight works is that, A, you encounter a problem. Okay? B, you intuit. You guess, you you assume, you say, hmm, I wonder what this is. It feels like it could be this. I don't have any evidence of it yet, but let me test it. And then I test it. I find some way to falsify it. I find some way to, you know, compare hypotheses. And then I come up with an explanation. Okay? And I go with that explanation until it doesn't work anymore. And I said, oh, okay, well, it worked up to here. Now it's not working anymore. What does my gut tell me that this might be? What can I speculate about? Yeah, but some people might think that this is, how is this different from just gathering information? You know, because it's, it's part of a continuum, I think. So you need to listen to your intuition, mm -hmm. but not, so much that you don't test the hypothesis that you yes. have. But doesn't mean that you will not trust any of your gut feelings, especially when you're more of an expert in that particular area. Yeah. So it's it could be confused, but it's really not the same. And you also have to weigh them depending on the consequences, mm -hmm. right? I was just watching a video the other day of these guys jumping off a cliff into this you know reservoir or something. Okay, you know, jumping like 40 feet or something. There he goes. That's about 13 meters. So, um, you know, so I'm looking at this and, and I'm thinking, well, these guys are out of their minds. Okay, first of all, you know, I would never do that. But, you know, uh, my first question is, um, well, did you check the depth of the water? Okay. Um, you, you know, now somebody might come up to that cliff and say, oh, this looks fine. Right. I've, I've been to the edge of a million reservoirs. I kind of have a gut feel for what these are. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. But you know what? There's pretty high consequences involved in this. So I'm going to go down and I'm going to measure the depth of the water before I jump into it. Okay. So we, we have to look at what is the price we're going to pay for being wrong here. If I go into a restaurant and I look at the menu and my gut tells me that the burger is going to be better than, you know, the salmon. Okay you know what, I'm going to go with my gut here, okay? I'm not going to do science on it. 
I'm not going to do a survey. I'm not going to, you know, I might ask the waiter or waitress, say, yeah, what you, what's better? But how do I know that he or she likes the same thing? Okay, so the, so the point is, what's the big deal? The most I've lost is, you know, I might have enjoyed something a little bit less. But if it's important, you got to do some degree of fact-checking, some degree of analysis of how good your intuitions are. When, when it comes to intuit, intuitive reactions to things, the brain has evolved this capacity to help us act quickly in the face of threats. Okay? So I see a rustling in the bush and I intuit that it's a predator. And so I run. Now, that's a good thing. Okay, we need those kind of intuitions because 90% of the time it's probably not a predator. But you know what? It's okay to be wrong because all I've lost is I got a little extra exercise. Okay, maybe I looked a little bit silly running from the wind in the bushes. Okay, but on that one time when it really was a lion, okay, then my intuition served me well. So, but our intuitions will get better at these things, the more time I spend in the woods. So we'll get a higher degree of accuracy through that. But it's not, you know, again, it's a process that goes from conscious and deliberative embedded into the non-conscious that's then tested through the conscious and deliberative and so forth. Is there is there a difference between guessing and intuition? Go ahead, Marisa. <laughs> Verbal answers only, please. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I was nodding. Um, I think there is. I mean, it depends on the intuition you're talking about. Because if it's um, kind of the mature version, maybe there isn't. But when you're talking about the, the mature version of like these uh, informed responsiveness and all of that, I think that there definitely is. So I might guess, but also depends on how you define guessing. Because if I'm guessing in an area where I'm an expert in, maybe that's the same. We're talking about the same thing. To me, the, the difference is that how informed you are in that domain or how, how much of an expert you are so that you're guessing or your intuition about it, how much, how probable it is that I'm right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's especially... There's often a mistaking of observations and intuition. Just hearing all the time, like, trust trust your gut, trust your intuition. It doesn't mean you're right, but it does mean that there's a new data point that you need to consider and learning how to read, to recognize that data point and then how to analyze that data point is important. Um, but it's intuition does not equal truth or knowledge necessarily. Yeah, intuition is data. So there's there's a uh, I, I heard a, a great quote one time. Yeah, I'll call it a quote. It's a guy that, that I, I I read some books by. He's a financial Popper? analyst. No, not Popper. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, no, it's actually a guy Dalai named Lama? Michael Malbison. <laughs> no, the... Almost, almost does talk about the Dalai Lama as being someone who has this uh, sort of guidance. But anyway, mm, okay. um, no. So I was uh, reading something uh, or actually listening to a podcast. It was a guy named Michael Malbison, whose books I highly recommend on decision making and uh, particularly related to finances and some other things. But um, 
the person asked him, what's the best way to make a decision on something? Okay. I mean, you, you get to, you know, you've got to make a decision. What, what's your process? And he says, my process is if it's a linear problem, like, you know, two plus two equals what? Okay. Or, you know, a linear problem is step A, step B, step C, conclusion. Then I do as much research as I can. I follow the data and then I make the decision indicated. Okay, should I buy this house or this house based solely on price? Well, let me look what the price is. Let me look what the appreciation is going to be in this neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera. That's a linear problem. Now, when it comes to a nonlinear problem, who should I marry? Okay, uh, what neighborhood should I move to? You know, should I have children or not? You do the research. You collect all the data. Okay, and then you trust your gut okay? because there's no linear answer to a question like that. Should I marry this person or not? Okay. So the only, the tiebreaker is our intuition or our feelings because they are data. And even though they might not be factually, you know, factual data, if my belly is saying to me, yeah, you know what? Don't marry this person. There's probably a reason for it. Okay. Or if it's saying do marry, there's probably a reason for it, as long as I've done all the other mm -hmm. work as well. So we can think of it as a tiebreaker in a nonlinear problem. Now, there will also be times when fast action is required. And all we have time for is uh, our intuition. Gary Klein, uh, the psychologist, does a lot of work with firefighters and fighter pilots, right? Analyzing how people in these high stressful have to make a really fast decision, how they get good at making decisions, right? How they get good at not flying into things, how they get good at knowing, you know what, this floor is going to collapse if I keep standing here. And it's not something conscious. They're not saying, hey, wait a minute, I feel something strange in this and I've experienced this before, so I better step back three feet. No, there's just something in their brain that says, get out of here, right? Because again, they have the experience and then the intuition works. Now they could be wrong some of the time. Okay. But again, the more experienced they are, the more likely they are to be right. Yeah. I, I was thinking about how it could be confused with the biases that, I mean, the cognitive biases, because what you're mentioning of like trusting your gut could be confused with a desire to believe something uh, because it's it feels good uh, and that's not intuition it's non-conscious it's um but it's not intuition that's just a yeah. cognitive bias not the kind of intuition we're talking yes. about yes right yeah so it's you know it's good intuition is educated yeah right and we you know, if we don't have to, we shouldn't rely on it solely if there's an opportunity in some way to fact check it. Yeah. And, and, and I think that the kind of if we contrast that with the five and striving to feel detached, it's it's like skipping the intuitive, the intuition piece. I mean, part of the process. Yes. Uh, but you shouldn't skip the detachment part of the process when you're using intuition. I mean, right. you listen to your intuition, which yeah. should be informed, educated, but then you do have to do these taking some distance from it and 
yeah. fact-checking or trying to just challenge it, which is kind of the only thing or what primarily the five does, just that piece, but not trusting the intuition piece of it. It's interesting, you know, because five connects with eight, mm. we can kind of contrast it, right? So I, I've known some eights who tend to be impulsive oh. and to make decisions really. <laughs> no, not you, right? You, you are not like that. But other eights are, might be impulsive, right? To, to, to kind of, you know, make a decision and act on it, right? This feels right. I'm going to do it. Boom. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> Yeah, a few eights are like that. A, a, a few eights are like mm -hmm. that. And... And the five has the opposite problem. So the eight is trusting their intuition too much. They're not stepping back and saying, you know, is this really a good idea? Is that is, is it really their intuition? Well, well, is it just what they're rationalizing well, it's a, it's, what they it's want an to immature, do? It's yeah. an immature intuition, right? It's this feels like the right thing to do, so I'm going to do it. And... I have no clue what I'm talking about, and I haven't thought this through, and I haven't tested my idea, and I haven't done any research. But you know what? It feels right to me, so I'm going to go do it. What's that? What's that quote that you? I forget when you said it, but is like right feel often wrong, but never uncertain. Yeah, but <laughs> that one and like uh, oh, they both feel oh, the uh, same uh, or something. Yeah, yeah, certainty feels the same whether you're right or wrong, and so. You know, and for and so eights tend to act on that certainty. Fives, on the other hand, don't trust that feeling of certainty. This is this is their issue. I start to feel this thing, but I learned early in life that I shouldn't trust this thing. So I'm going to step back and I'm going to detach from it emotionally. Now they don't do this all the time because, again, all great insights start with an intuition. And fives often have great insights. Okay. It's not like they just, you know, it's not like you ask a five's opinion and they say, well, let me hold on. Let me turn the computer on and analyze all the facts and all this sort of stuff. They get intuitions and impulses just like the rest of us, but then they think through it more logically, more in a more disciplined way, more thoroughly. And where they err is not actually acting on it. Okay. We're not acting on it quickly enough. Whereas the eight gets a whole lot more done, but they have to undo or redo some of it because they didn't do the same research. Some eights. Just sure. Other eights. Sure. When it comes to intu intuition, what does it feel like? Like in your body, what does it feel like to make a decision based off of intuition? I think that there's an aspect of that it's like permeable it's like outward and inward it's like i think that with other some of the other one of the other uh, core qualities we said something about the same of the boundaries i think that there's it's more of a mental bound no not that that there aren't kind of mental boundaries and there's a piece of objectiveness but uh it's more clarity i think and this being able to see kind of inward and outward. But also a I think when it's mature intuition, also think that there's an impulse to act upon it. It's not just mental. It's it feels like it elicits the not need, 
desire to take action to do something. Yeah, I, I, and for me, it, it, there's also this feeling of being both fluid and settled at the same mm. time, right? Of, um, you, you know, um, in, in martial arts training, for example, there's there's a ready stance, okay? And a re it's a ready stance that, you know, your, your arms are not up in a defensive position or anything. You're just kind of standing with your, you know, your feet firm but not rooted, you know, or rooted but not embedded. Your body is, um, you know, you're you're feeling your body, but it's not rigid, okay? So there's just this ability to sort of move. And there is this sort of, it's it's almost like a kinetic energy, right? It's a prepared to engage sort of thing, like Mario Jose was saying. And, and that's how I always think of it, right? So the person is there. They're, you know, they're not going in or out. They're, you know, there is this permeability to them, Um but it just feels like this, you know, it, it, oddly enough, it's a fullness, right? Uh, one of the words um, that, that came to my mind as I was preparing for this was the word desiccated, okay? Uh, which is how the five can feel when they lose touch with intuition. Desiccated means, you know, it has all the, it's dried, right? It has all the moisture sucked out of it. And, you know, and if you've ever met a five, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love fives. Um, no. So, so the five, when they're out of touch with their intuition and they're going into that detached place, they can feel dry and desiccated and almost lifeless is a hard word because it's not so much that. But again, it just feels like there's this dryness to it. And when they start getting back in touch with the intuition, it's like you've put water back into the sponge. Okay, not so much water that it's pouring out, but water enough that the sponge is, you know, soft and pliable and, you know, and useful. So that, that for me is, is kind of how the, the, the embodied feeling is like. One of the things that intuition does for us is to equip us to go out into the world and engage with it because it gives us a sense of confidence and comfort that we can engage with the world in a way that will be successful in a sense, that I'll know what to do. I'll find myself in situations where I'll feel capable, whether it be interacting with people, whether it be driving a car, whether it be, you know, shopping at the supermarket, whatever it is, I can do this, right? I've done it before. I've been, I'm aware of having done it before. And it's not, you know, when we talk about point six, we're going to talk about confidence here, but it's, it's different than that. Okay. It's, you know, because the six has issues around confidence and they start to develop, you know, a need for security and anxiety and so forth. It, it's different from that. It's just that, okay, I get this. I know how this works. I know how to engage with it. It's a, it's a predictive capacity that gives you the ability to be more adaptive in the world. That doesn't necessarily mean you're confident about doing the action. I, I know what to expect on some level. So it's more so I'm not wild about predictive because, again, that gets back into the planning and thinking up in the head. Right. It's more like, OK, I just know that I'll be able to figure this out. OK, I don't have to worry too much about planning. it Now, of course, if it's, you know, if I'm taking a trip to the moon or something, of course, I got to do planning, you know, but I don't have to get too I don't have to overanalyze things. 
I can just go and do them. I'll share a story. So I went, you know, years ago, I was actually going to an Enneagram conference in San Francisco with a friend who's a five, and he wanted to get some T-shirts for his kids. Okay. And so we go to one of these places on Fisherman's Wharf and they have, you know, three T-shirts for $10. And, and so he goes in there and there, there are hundreds and hundreds of different T-shirts and he's holding up the T-shirts and he's asking me, do you think, oh, my son will like this? Do you think my daughter will like this? And I'm thinking, what the hell are you asking me for? I've met your kids once, right? What do you think your kids will like? And, and then, you know, and so he's going back and forth and he's in there, you know, like 10, 15 minutes. And then he asks, starts asking the woman. You know, are these going to shrink? You know, where were these made? You know, blah, blah, blah. And after like 20 minutes, I'm like, dude, I'll be waiting outside. I can't, you know, deal with this. And he comes out after a total of 45 minutes with nothing in his hands, right? <laughs> because he just couldn't decide what to get. Now, I would have gone on there, in there and it would have taken me two minutes to get shirts for everybody I know. Now, they wouldn't have been the right size and they wouldn't have been anything that anybody would yeah. like, but I'd have been right. done it. I'd have been on to the next thing. Right. <laughs> so so there's, you know, there's a balance yeah. here. OK, but this is the so, so this is the trap that the five can fall into is, OK, th th this thing, I have to really prepare for it instead of just going out and saying, you know what, I'll 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 be able to handle this. I'll figure it out. Yeah, I think that the difference between. It's it's more about more than predicting. It's understanding mm. and knowing and having the skills or the competencies to respond to it. If the, with the six, I think they are pretty confident that they can predict the bad things at least, but yeah. they will not know how to respond. Um, yeah. But here, it's about defining the problem. And then yeah. having the skills to address them. Yeah, the six has the concern that I'll get hurt, whereas the five has the concern of I'll do something stupid yeah. or I'll do the wrong thing. I'll look incompetent. Mm. Yeah, I'll look incompetent. Yeah. Right? So, um, and and this what you touched on there, Maria Jose, is is what wisdom is, right? So wisdom is, you know, applied knowledge and experience over time. So wisdom does not always require specific knowledge and specific facts because it can extrapolate from prior understanding. And it can see, oh, you know what, this, I had a similar situation to this, not quite the same, but similar, and here's what worked, so let's try this. But you know what, given these circumstances, I might tweak it a little bit. Okay, so that's that's kind of wisdom at work, of and it's grounded in experience, um, and this is what ultimately the five and all of us, when we're working on our intuition, becomes more skilled at. We become wiser. Yeah, I think that at this point, um, to make it kind of more tangible, um, we can mention that the accelerate the practice that we use to nurture the core quality of intuition is conscious practice. So the, the steps we can take towards getting to a more mature or informed intuition is just practice. And the trap in which many of us, but uh, especially the five gets, it's to think that just understanding in my mind how things are, I'll know how to respond. And 
I will only know how to respond after I practice, and that will inform my non-conscious response or intuition. Uh, so practicing consciously, it's the only way or the main way in which intuition can mature. Can you give me a specific example of what that practice would look like? Look, it could be anything. But for example, if you're talking um, about relationships and how people respond to certain things, I could listen to all the podcasts and read all the articles about how to deal with kids. But until I don't just deal with them and test different things and see how they people the kids respond because some kids might be different one from another and I will never know what to do so I will intuitively do it well only when I practice not when I read or listen to things even if it's a lot of it and very well written and informed articles and podcasts it's just something at the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> and so th this is something that parents will say. They, they usually don't say it in public, right? Um, but when they're with each other, they have no interest in what anybody who doesn't have children has to say about how to raise children. Okay. You can, like Mariose said, read all the books. You can, you know, have great theories and all this other sort of stuff. But or pets. wake up or, or pets. Yeah. I say, yeah, well, I don't have kids, but I have pets. No, 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 trust me. I've had pets and you know what? I didn't lose a moment's sleep when it was time to get rid of them, taking them to the SPCA to be euthanized. You know, I mean, I, I, look, I, I didn't take any joy in it. Right. But, you know, I've had a couple of pets. All right. It's time to go. And so, you know, yeah, I got news for you. It, that doesn't work with a kid. No. Okay, so. You don't take them to be euthanized? Is that? <laughs> I've wanted to at times, but no, you, you know, it's, it's frowned upon. No, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your pets don't have existential crises, you know? Because they're just dumb cats. You yeah. Know, what do they know, right? So, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Right. But my point is that, and I think what Rio's point is, is that we can know all the facts about something, but until we do it, until we live it, until we experience it, it's like trying to take advice from somebody about swimming who's never been in a pool. Yeah, and, okay. and maybe it's apparent and the theory is good, but your kid might be different and it well, might not true. work with your kid. This is true. Um, and so that applies to any domain possible in which you, a sport or anything where you can know all the facts, but until you don't practice, you will not intuitively respond to it effectively. Uh, so we have the, the connecting points, um, point seven with joy and point eight with vitality. How do those interact with intuition? As we've talked about throughout this series, you really can't separate the development or the nurturing of one of the core qualities without talking about the others or without understanding how these things influence and affect each other. So with the, with the eight, I'm sorry, with the five, as they start to shut down this intuition, then their vitality 
becomes shut down as well, right? So yeah, the, it was the, hard for me to not link it to your desiccated reference before, and not link it to the vitality of the eight. Yeah, it's it's this, uh, um, and that's exactly what it is, right? So as I shut this one thing down, other things start to shut down as well, and so this vibrancy that we see in eights. Uh, this this magnetism, this charisma, come on, that just oozes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you can believe that. <laughs> You're misrepresenting. You're folks. misrepresenting the aid, Mario. <laughs> I'll restate. <laughs> Allow me to restate. Um, so as the five starts to shut down their intuitions, they start to feel uncomfortable with it. They also start to lose contact with this vitality, right? So this this energy that, you know, we see at point eight, this expressiveness, this outwardness starts to disappear too. And they start to almost sort of shrink in on themselves, right? The five, Um there's this, you know, this holding on when we talk about the stinginess of the five, you know, the kind of classic fixation at point five. Everybody always thinks of Scrooge McDuck and, uh, you know, uh, Scrooge from the Christmas Carol about, you know, being cheap and not wanting to, you know, give anybody any money or anything when they think of this stinginess. But it's not that can be, but it's more about I, I need to hold on to myself yeah. because I don't have enough Okay, I don't. I don't have any of me to spare. Okay. It's not sharing my myself. Energy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so again, we see this, and and as the five, and and at point seven, joy. Well, you can see how this again disengagement from the world is going to suck the joy out of us. And as the five starts to get back in touch with this intuition, as they engage with the world, as they engage in conscious, deliberate, intentional practice of whatever it is they're doing, it starts to create space for the development of these other things as well. And so for the, you know, at point five, we also, I'm sorry, at point eight, we also have the accelerator of uh, self-discipline. Okay. So the five puts themselves out there into the world in a disciplined and structured way rather than waiting for the impulse to come along to engage with people. Yeah. I become disciplined. And it. you need discipline for the conscious practice because otherwise you can just go in all directions or too far or too deep into something that you're looking into or that you're trying to understand without this discipline to just say, okay, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll practice, I'll stop here. You need that. And savoring, which is the accelerator at point seven, again, starts to hydrate the, the, the five, right? That, you know, we think of, go back to this idea of desiccation. I'm, I'm engaging with something intentionally and I'm experiencing it and I'm feeling it and I'm tasting it and I'm there instead of being off somewhere in my head or removed from the thing. And as these things start to kind of come online for us, as they, they, we start to experience them, you start to see all the, you know, the more wonderful qualities of the five, right? I always find, you know, it's, 
I've been kind of teasing fives a little bit, but the reality is, is that I, I just, I just, I, I love fives, right? I mean, I, I, I always, they, they, well, that's, that's exactly it. Say more about that, Maria Jose. They're sweet. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're really sweet. Now, I think that there's these um, quality of being kind of almost like kids, but not in a bad way. Yeah, but it's childlike. Yes, like sweet and a bit, a bit naive, maybe, or and well-intentioned. I mean, you can have all sorts of fives, of course, but but I think that it's like if they were putting a shell to protect these delicate heart they have, and not these cold human being that some people use as stereotypes or believe they are the work for a five in order to grow and uh, change you know it's uh, you know we, we again practice the accelerators okay that's the first piece of it you know we always talk about rewriting the strategies and you know working with the instinctual bias related to a specific issue okay so if fives want to improve their relationships you go through what it means to be detached etc then we talk about that in the awareness to action process, but it really does come down to working on being conscious of what's happening in their body, conscious of what's happening to them related to their feelings and their emotions, okay, and, and being there for it, right, experiencing it, noticing it, reflecting on it, savoring it, okay, this is what my body's feeling right now, but actually feeling it instead of just talking about it. Okay. So it really is a great deal about embodiment for fives. And I even hate saying that because it's such a cliche. Oh, fives need to get out of their heads and into their bodies, but it really is the truth. Okay. And it's not just, oh, go play a sport or go run or, you know, go lift weights or anything like that. No, it's to really be paying attention to what's happening. All right, great. Well, thanks for listening to the episode today, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast.